powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Welcome, welcome, please, please. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show with this part two of the fantastic interview I did with the great actor Mr. Robert Hayes of such films as Airplane, Homeward Bound, and Running Against Time. We really get into some really awesome territory here with conversations about his love of racing cars, conventions, meeting some incredible people. Before we dive in, I just saw on the news that NASA has announced that the asteroid Apophis will no longer possibly impact the Earth in 2029 or 2068. Now, I've held a rather interesting preoccupation with studying this asteroid, and i tell you what, that comes as remarkably great news. This was a huge sucker, and if it had hit, we would be talking major devastation. Now, not a global killer, per se, but it would definitely rearrange the landscape around you. So with that in mind, pour a drink, let's get right into part two of our interview with the great Mr. Robert Hayes. Now, here's the one. This is the one I've been most looking forward to. So I, when I told people you were on the show, there is a, there's an underground following of this one particular film that you did. And it's one of my all-time favorite films. It's never, ever seen the light of day digitally. It is the film Running Against Time. Oh, the, the yeah. Story, the story of a film professor who uh, meets a scientist, creates time travel, going back to right. stop President Kennedy's assassination. Um, right. It is never seen a digital release. It is a complete cult classic. What do you remember most from making that film? Because I have a bunch of questions about this one. Well, that was really, I, I, that was fun. I thought it was a fascinating thing. And I thought Catherine was great to work with. She was so, she was so terrific. And, and the guy that was the old professor, Sam was, it's funny because years before, when I was in a film called Scandalous in England, I would take off on my days off. I'd just take off and walk. It's such a great walking city, London is. And, and I just walked along and found a place called Hayes Wharf, spelled the way I spell my name. And I walked across the bridge over to it. And then uh, I think that was Westminster Bridge, maybe. And then I, I walked along by that and wandered along until I finally bumped into this excavation that was going on and they said they'd found the original globe theater. And I started out, you know, after Grossmont at the old globe theater, which was a replica. It was a one fifth replica. I never realized it was a fifth replica, but here they're doing this thing. And the guy that was the founding driving force behind it was Sam Wanamaker. And I donated some money to it. I've got how many pounds. So it was, uh, it was really fun for me to do that and get on the role of, people that had made contributions and and years later here i'm working with sam and i tell sam about that and he was very proud of that I said well thank you very much and he was very proud but that was great fun and he's also such a wonderful actor to get to work with these old great guys the whole thing about going back there and 
changing history was a fascinating thing for me. I didn't realize until you just said this, that there's a, a kind of a cult following. Oh, about that. Lord. Yes. Uh, someone obviously got a hold of the VHS, um, did a transfer. It's not the greatest transfer in the world, but it's technically it is a digital copy. People pass it around on Google drives. They pass it around, um, Really? Formed. Oh yes, and they nitpick it to death. They, I know. Um, I've heard stories of physics professors teaching it uh, in quantum physics classes. Um, really? Yeah, talking about it. Oh, you, yeah. It is. It is a is a remarkably unique film. And I remember it was based on a book. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is, is like I said, is especially now that I, I learned that your father was a, a U.S. Marine but was deployed to Vietnam. Did, did that ever occur to you that maybe that was on a, a personal level? Oh, yeah. I had friends that went over there. Some of my best friends had gone over. I, I, had, uh, I was on the, on the bench right next to the door. When they call you, you get up, you open the door, you walk down the hallway, that canvas-covered hallway outside mm -hmm. to get on the bus and to take you up to Fort Ord. And, and that was it. And they called me back over and said, hey, we got to check your knee out. There's something going on here with your knee. And I said, well, geez, me shoving around on it i had jammed it when i was taking karate classes and it would swell up on me so they didn't take me but galen moore his his dad was our uh, workshop teacher at newport harbor high galen was a star wrestler on our wrestling team i was a lesser <laughs> lesser wrestler but uh galen he died over there mm. and uh and then other friends of mine had gone over and they we went through some rough, a buddy of mine was a SEAL team guy. And 30 some odd years later, it finally hit him. PTSD hit him really badly. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, and I mean, you know, I, talking with him in the years that followed, he said, oh, I said, man, that must have been rough. He said, yeah, you know me, I have a good time no matter where I am. Mm. And then all of a sudden it hit him and he didn't know if he was going to still be alive. He was just so, you know. Mm -hmm. in the depressions and everything. So um, he was able to find the, uh, the uh, support groups and that's what saved him. He said, but I've got a bunch of friends um, that had gone. And so I, that made me think about what would happen if you were able to change that or what, you know, what, would, yeah. so the, the yeah. ripple of repercussions. Do you know, what's funny is yeah. that the movie itself, the plot is actually based on, I mean, there is some real science in there about, you know, President Kennedy was going to, you know, pull his advisors and, and do this. And the fact right. that the film touched on that so in depth, a real kind of authenticity to the plot. I mean, obviously, you know, time right. times fiction. But like I said, there's a lot of there's a, I know a lot of uh, political um, political science majors who have kind of got a copy of this movie and they've talked about it in great deal. It's it's it was. A, yes, it was a made for TV movie, but it, the actual longevity in terms of people you know they, they, they the response to it is incredible and the fact that it's never been released on a dvd or anything is makes it even more that's, amazing that's funny if they find who owns the rights to it because sometimes studios will sell mm -hmm. portions of their library to somebody else or, or or they find out who has the rights and if they get a large enough group of them together mm -hmm. and they say we want this on blu-ray please put this on Blu-ray and then they, uh, they can sometimes make a difference. Mm -hmm. Years later, the film was compared to that Stephen King novel, um, 11, 63. Do you ever get a chance to read it? 
No. Yeah, and there's no. a lot of comparisons of the same as in Stephen King's novel compared to Running Against Time, and a lot there's a Gosh, lot. Gosh, of... I gotta go. I, oh, I gotta yeah. get that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Running Against Time. If if you haven't had a chance, there there are copies out there floating around. Um, I know I've got one. Well, so. shoot! Look at all this stuff you're teaching me here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I like I said, I, I this is this is one of the reasons too. I was really looking forward to this interview is to get a touch to talk to you because. I don't think that's a movie that people bring up in any interviews that, uh, you know, they have with you. So this has been a real pleasure for me to do that. So, yeah. So well, that's uh, great. Yeah. Moving on real fast. 1993, mm -hmm. you endeared yourself to a new generation of film goers with the family comedy Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Um, what do you remember most from getting the script to filming it? Uh, you know, the film had an amazing cast of actors providing voices for the animals. Uh, did you have any interactions with them? Well, when you're working with animals, the trainers don't want the actors to mess around with them between scenes mm -hmm. because that'll distract them and get them all worked up, especially if you play with them the way I do. It gets them all worked <laughs> up. So what they do is they will say, okay, here's a, we got a break now, and you guys can play with them. So um, whether it was Homeward Bound or Homeward Bound 2 or The Retrievers, which was an Animal Planet channel movie that I made, with eight retrievers puppies the same thing with with, uh, with the cats that played sassy and you know the dogs for chance and and for shadow so you gotta have a couple just for you know uh, do different kinds of tricks and chance was such a pup i mean that was a young guy he grew to probably three or four times his size i was told and just into a, a horse almost. He was a big guy. But, oh, my God, they were so much fun. I just, I am crazy about animals. I love, I love animals. I especially love dogs. And the people on it were great. Ben Stahl, that played my oldest, we're still in touch. And he is just amazing. He's a wonderful, wonderful kid. Now, a man, he and his wife. In fact, he's got a Homeward Bound script. Oh, wow. Uh, a third, uh, a sequel, sequel, whatever. What do you call that? A trichol. Uh, but anyway, he's got a script. That he's he's uh, trying to get that done. Oh, wow. And he's he's been, uh, in addition to the acting and everything else, he's been making trailers for films. And he's been very successful doing that. Yeah. yeah. I miss so, the old trailers uh, where they had you had, you know, like in a world, uh, you had a narrator. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear that anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Don was it Don yeah. Lafontaine was his name? Don LaFontaine. And Don LaFontaine, I got to meet one time because he's like one of the, you know, the the king of movie trailers. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he told me that he had done the airplane trailer and I didn't know that until oh. he told me. I, oh wow. Well, we worked together then. That's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that was fun. That's really fun. A friend of mine came in and uh, a friend told me one time that he had come in after Don had been in a session and the limo was just pulling away. He had a limo that would drive him to the place and then drive him off, drive him to the next studio or whatever he was doing. And he got something like $1,500 for every single one of the things that he did. And then of course he got paid in the residuals every time, you know, it played and he came in after him and on the easel was a stack about, Four, something like four to six inches tall, he said. 
And each one of those, and they were like, uh, some were one page, some were a couple of pages. Each one of those was $1,500. Oh, wow. So you can imagine how much money that was that he had just made. Ah, the guy was amazing. Just amazing. I heard stories about studios that if he was was not available, like he was, you know, sick, he was gone on vacation, he was overseas or whatever, he was out of town, they'd have somebody else do the trailer. Mm-hmm. And then the film would come out and it wasn't doing quite as well as they wanted. They'd pull the film, they'd wait, Don LaFontaine would come back, they'd have him recut the trailer, the voice on the trailer, and then they'd re-release it. Oh, wow. <laughs> because it was like a, like a lucky charm kind of a thing. You know, they have um, <laughs> nowadays, um, was it, um, oh, uh, Honest Trailers now, they have a, with a, you know, a funny a funny guy with, you know, with, with Don LaFontaine's, you know, imitated his voice and the, the trailers are silly and they pick apart movies and stuff like that. But those are the only times yeah. I really miss, um, you know, voices in your trailers. Yeah. Just, you know, the loud uh, Hans Zimmer, you know, bang and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Voices really did transport you into a whole new world. Oh, absolutely. It was exciting and got you ready for something really neat. There was a trailer for the movie uh, Antonio Banderas did, uh, The 13th Warrior. And the, for some reason, the you know, in the world, that, that, that particular one just sort of stuck in my head, kind of resonates with me. I don't know why, but uh, maybe it was just the use I've of the I've got to go. I don't know if that, The 13th Warrior. That yeah, doesn't sound a, familiar. I don't think I've seen that. It's a remake. It's sorry. It's an adaptation of Michael Crichton's book, Eaters of the Dead. It's a Viking movie. How old is that? 1997, eight. You got to go look that one up. Because I, one I right like Antonio Banderas. It's the movie he did right after The Mask of Zorro. Oh. And it's uh, the biggest box office bomb in the history of motion pictures. You're kidding me. I am not. Oh, joking. my God. It, it, and, the, oh. It's hurt, and it hurts my heart because it's so good. It's uh, one of John. <laughs> it's a John McTiernan movie too, of all things. Oh really? Oh yeah. man! Yeah, go check it How out. Could it be so? Yeah, I will. I will. So uh, yeah. moving on, I gotta ask. Uh, you were cast in the '70s show. Do you have any uh, fun stories interacting with that cast? The uh, Topher. I was so impressed with him. Mm-hmm. There's something about him that was just. I really thought he was amazing. A great kid. And a wonderful actor, but it was just a great quality about him. I just really, really liked, and uh, and it was fun. You know, the, it was it was really nice. But the guy, Mark Brazil, was one of the creators of the show, and he and his wife had just bought my house when I sold my house, and then moved out to the lake where I lived. They were the ones that bought it. And as I'm showing him around the house, I could tell there's something on his mind. He finally turns and says, "Look, I've got to ask." I'm, I'm doing uh, that Seve show and would you come and be on the show? And I was going through, you know, divorce and, and, uh, or had recently, just recently gone through it. I really was not all, you know, yeah. interested in all this stuff. And I said, yeah, well, and he kind of, I'm half-heartedly listening and he's explaining it all to me. And I was in, and I thought, yeah, okay. And, yeah, that's kind of funny. And I'm just saying this because I'm not even listening, but I'm thinking that's what you should say. And he said, funny. Well, no, it's supposed to be really kind of heartwarming. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But I mean, in a funny way, you know, and I'm just trying to dig myself out of a hole. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to it. I thought, yeah, I'm not really that interested in this. But I finally said, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose 
I guess. And so they made a three thing deal with it. And I just wound up doing, you know, like one or two of the things that it was not, uh, it wasn't a great experience for me because I was not in a good place. No, I, I was, that. I was, uh, I just, I mean, I had a whole platter of crap fall on me. I had my, my, uh, dad had died from cancer. I had gone through it and then I had a divorce and then we found after my dad died, my mom had the beginnings of Alzheimer's and all of that. I was just everything that hit me and I was not in a great place. And it was, I was so used to being on a show in a place where I could kind of control the, you know, the, uh, the atmosphere on the show. Mm-hmm. And this was, uh, this was being controlled by all these kids. And it was just, I was just an outsider that was sitting out there and it was just kind of weird. It was just kind of weird. They were all, they got along great. Tommy Chong was great. I love Tommy. <laughs> and he was great. <laughs> he kept trying to get me loaded. And I said, Tommy, I got to go do an interview over at the studio over there. I can't, I can't fucking tell you. But, you know. My, my little brother collects rare, you know, silly things. And he has a, um, what do you call those things? Uh, a bong signed by Tommy Chong. It's one of his most prized possessions. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so obviously, I know you've done some voice acting as well, and I would not be doing my job if I didn't ask what it's like to be the second Tony Stark after John Vernon and before Robert Downey Jr. Well, John Vernon was a friend of mine, and his daughter Kate. And I told John, I said, I have two uh, videotapes of the animation series, and you know, I didn't know if you'd want to have those. And, and he said, oh, God, I would love with that voice of his, you know. It's funny because he's got such a deep, resonant voice, and I don't. And I said, I, I said yeah, I'll get, I'll get those to you. I never did get them to him. And I thought, oh, man, and now I've lost them in the fire. And I've gone through my storage locker. I'm trying to consolidate two storage lockers that I had, a lot of which I, I wish had gone up in the fire. And I could have just, you know written that stuff off and it would have been okay <laughs> not everything i have but you know and then i i'm going through everything and we were throwing stuff out and giving stuff away the goodwill and all of a sudden there they are iron man they're the two cassettes and i found them and now john's gone <laughs> but but uh it was really really fun doing that and i didn't i haven't gotten to do very much but what i've done uh what i have gotten to do has been really fun i was just kind of starting to get ideas about it how you do it and because it's a different world my friend jim is is uh that was on iron man is is one of the top voiceover guys in the business and he does jim when cummings? He yeah he's okay. great he's oh he's just i've met him he's a super so nice talented. guy yeah, yeah super nice and guy he's so talented. and and i i mean you got a whole bunch of these people that just fantastic and and uh and i'd love being able to do more of that stuff but that's it's a it's a real kind of a clickish family and whole deal you know so so uh you don't get to do as much as you'd like to but uh what, it's a lot of fun what do you think of robert downey jr's um take on the role i mean obviously it made him robert downey jr to me is just a remarkable actor I think he's a remarkably talented actor. If you look at at uh, Chaplin, 
Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. He's just amazing. And, and, and other stuff that he does is great. The one thing, there's only one thing that ever really bugged me, and that was the Sherlock Holmes. Because mm-hmm. I am a big Sherlock Holmes fan. And I had, you know, the, the copies of Sherlock Holmes, all different sorts of copies of the collected Sherlock Holmes and things about Sherlock. I love Sherlock Holmes. And the Basil Rathbone, to me, is just like Sean Connery is the real James Bond. Basil oh, Rathbone cool. is the real, you know. So, but I do love all the other uh, attempts at it. And I think that Sherlock, the one that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does, yes, is just. Excellent, absolutely. Emma Martin Freeman, it's it's phenomenal. Yes, yeah, yeah, and he is great. And I love their take on it, you know, their whole more modern take, but it still has a little of the old flavor. You know, they make it feel like when they're shooting in London, they still have some cobblestone streets here and there, and so you still get that feeling here and there. And they they kind of incorporate that into it. I love that. But when he did Sherlock Holmes, when they he and Jude Law did that. Mm-hmm. It bugged the hell out of me. I just couldn't stand it when I was watching it. While I was watching it, because he was this loose as a goose, floppy guy. Jude Law was like the name's Bond, James yeah. Bond. And, and 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 then when uh, Lestrade comes in, he is you know oh yeah well then he went up some and then when Lestrade's uh, you know. Uh, sergeant comes in he's the big uh, i'm smarter than anybody here and everybody's out trying to outsmart everyone else as actors and as the way that i i fault the writer the producer and the directors for allowing for creating this and allowing it to happen now if it was digby dilt's private eye i'd say okay now it's fine i'll just watch it for that but it was not sherlock holmes uh, uh dr watson Lestrade and every other person in the entire cast should be the audience. They ought to be in awe of how Holmes can deduce all of these things. And how does your mind work? Holy smokes. But when he says something and then Jude Law says, yes, but it could be this. And of course it's this and this and this. And, and it's like, oh crap. It just took all the specialness out of it. And it bugged me. So other than that, I think he's fantastic. I'll give you, I'll let you in on a little secret. I have never been able to get through those films. I have tried so hard and it just, I just can't get into it. But I will say this, casting Jared Harris as Professor Moriarty, I will say that was actually a very, very good casting choice. But that's just my Jared Harris is great. Yeah. I think Jared Harris is fantastic. Yeah. I really think that's, it's so amazing because I didn't, at first, I didn't know who he was, mm-hmm. but he was Richard's son, and and it's glad I'm glad I didn't because I would have been making making comparisons the whole time. Instead, I became a fan of his just by his own work, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad about that. But now I can see just every once in a while, little tiny things. And the older he gets, it's funny. The older we get, the more we kind of uh, uh, things that are similar to our parents come out in us, mm-hmm. yes. whether it's physically or uh, some uh, mannerism or vocally or whatever. Uh, but it's, I've noticed that about people, even relatives and, and uh, friends of mine, the older they get, the more they'll look maybe like a parent or something. But I think Jared Harris is wonderful. He's really wonderful. 
when you did the Tony Stark voiceovers, you dipped your toe in the Marvel pond. Uh, did you get a good chance to meet Stan Lee, or uh, what are your yeah. opinions? What are your opinions of like the MCU universe? I got to go up and meet Stan, and he was so fun. He's like a kid. Mm-hmm. He's like a little kid that's just so excited about everything. And he gave me some cells, the oh. big, you know, the big cells of of on a board, you know, behind mm-hmm. the cell mounted. And he wrote to me from Stanley and and uh, gave me a whole bunch of things uh, up in his office. And we walked around and looked at stuff and it just 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 great. I mean, what a fun day that was. I I still have, I think, maybe something that he gave me, <laughs> but I, I have the memory though. Really, he was he was just fantastic. And doing it was great fun. I don't know that they. I think they were searching. They kept searching around to try to get the right animation and the right everything, you know, for it all to come together. And and like I say, for me, it was learning the whole animation world is so much different. And how to make yourself comfortable in that world. Because I'm so much more comfortable, you know, with the camera and we're all on a set and we've got the, you know, we know what everything is. But with that, it's like you're thinking about, well, what's the what is the thing going to look like? I'm, what am I, you know, I'm, I'm saying this stuff, but then they're going to animate to it. It's like, mm. Oh God, how weird. And you have to let go of a lot of things that I had in my mind. And I was just in the process of learning how to let go of that and relax into this other world. But, um, it's um, funny you say that my best friend, um, his wife is a huge Simpsons fan and, <laughs> yeah. uh, he won an auction. Um, and he took his wife to Los Angeles and they got to sit in a table read. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, you're getting to see these, you know, these absolutely iconic voiceover actors, you know, Dan Castanella, Hank Azaria, uh, and so right. forth. And watching them actually perform these characters live, you're, and they have absolutely, again, like you just said, no idea how it's going to look in the finished product. You're just basically right. putting your trust in the animators and hoping they, you know, they do it justice. <laughs> Oh God! It's one of my favorite films of all time. I mean, series of all time. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 you I, want to talk about longevity? That I still can't believe that show is still on. It's in, it's incredible. And Julie Kratner was at the Old Globe with me. Oh, we really? Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. So. <laughs> I don't think I've seen her once since I've been up here. Maybe one time. I managed. Hey, Julie. But uh, maybe not even. Gosh, isn't that funny though? Isn't it? It is. It's I funny. mean, like it's the same city. All right, folks, let's take a little break. We'll be right back after we shine a spotlight on two friends of the show and a pause for a sponsor. Be right back. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the My Work Life Podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing? Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers? Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. 
New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at FMWLPod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the Derek Duvall Show in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of your application. Hi everyone, I'm Ariel Cooksey, host of Malice. When violent acts occur, we tend to think the predators are monsters. Surely no human could do such things. But if we're honest, only humans commit malicious crime. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me at Malice, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Welcome back, folks. Did you get any deep breathing in? I hope so. So here we are, the conclusion of our interview with the great Mr. Robert Hayes. Now, a lot of folks might not realize, but you have an aff- affinity for race car driving. I love it. Tell, can you tell and us about the time that you've uh, <laughs> actually been in a, in a good race? Well, I, I went to Bob Bondurant, the School of High Performance Driving, up at, when it was at Sonoma, uh, north of San Francisco, at the uh, Sears Point uh, Raceway, which is now called Infineon. So the world keeps moving on from us here, but uh, um, and he's now in Chandler, Arizona. But I I went there to get ready for a race. I I went to the Toyota Pro Celebrity Race in Long Beach, and I was up in the Muet room, the Muet Chandon room, which I learned how to pronounce properly from the president of Muet Chandon, Henri Perrier. So for anyone listening out there, it's Muet. It's not Moe. I, I just feel so superior to everyone that I know that. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so I went up and I was watching the race and I thought, God, man, this is so much fun looking. I bet I could do this. I bet I could come back and win this thing. So I got into it, uh, to the race, and I went to uh, Bob Bondurant School. And the first race was uh, in Watkins Glen in New York. That was the Long Beach race when they used to have it back there. And then they'd come out and do it in uh, Long Beach. And so I went back there, met uh, Parnelly Jones and Dan Gurney and uh, Johnny Rutherford, all these other you know great race car drivers, and Pete um, Conrad, who was a uh, uh, was in the pro division, but he was a, uh, you know, one of the great astronauts, famous astronaut. Oh, wow. Who was great. Petey. He was terrific. And, and so we had, oh my God, we had so much fun. I led the first lap on that. It was really, really a real learning experience. And so then we come back and I go back up to Bondurant and I go through the course again and I just want to get as much of it drilled into me, uh, because it's kind of like it's when you're when you're doing especially like endurance driving, you can go out and you can jog, and you can get your uh, endurance lifting weights and jogging. But where you really get the endurance you need is by actually driving, doing the actual thing. And so I wanted to go through as much of the training again as I could to really get myself ready. And then I went to Long Beach. I was the fastest 
celebrity. So I was in the inverted pack. I was in the back of the pack of about, I don't know, there were 20 or 30 of us or something. And, and then the uh, pros division was behind us. And so you had Dan Gurney and Parnelli Jones mm-hmm. and Elio DeAngelis, who was ranked number six in the world in Formula One. Mark Thatcher, who had uh, been in the, remember when he did the, uh, Ma- Margaret Thatcher's son, he went across the oh, Sahara yeah. and was lost for a few days. Oh, yeah. So he was involved in racing, did a lot of racing. So he was in the pro division. So when the race started, I thought, okay, if I can just get through these guys, Joe Montana, who the, the great quarterback for San Francisco, he was there, uh, Hacksaw Reynolds, the Rams, he was there. And, uh, you know, a bunch of football players, other actors and sports figures. And I thought, if I can get through them while they're so tentative, then they'll start getting a little more confidence. They'll make it harder for these guys behind me. Mm. Now, John Blakemore was a guy that I met up in, when I went through the school. And he's a racing photographer, but he wanted to know what it was like to be on the other side. So he wanted to know what it was like being in the car. So when he's taking the pictures, he'd get that sense of feeling. He'd get maybe there'd be something more in the picture, maybe. So he was there up in the stands. And he was standing next to... Phil Hill, the, the first U.S. world champion in Formula One, and Paul Newman, who was also, you know, big time in racing mm-hmm. and had occasionally, I think he was involved in acting, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, they were, they were right next to him. And then my dad was down. My, now, my dad, like we talked about, was a fighter pilot. And so he was into timing and watching his watch and stop and timing stuff and you know, I'd gone over all the things I was learning. And so he was, he was down positioned at one of the turns and they're supposed to be 20 or 30 seconds behind us, the pro group. And when John, they went past the stands where John was, he said they were only about five seconds behind us. But when they got to the turn right before coming on the, the straightaway where the, the start flag was going to go down, dad said that they were only about two seconds. So they were two seconds on my back bumper, off my back Mm. bumper, because I was in the back of the pack. When the start flag, the check, you know, the the green flag went down to start the race, I just jumped on it, dove inside and just wheedled my way through every single person I could get to. And then at the end of the straightaway, there were about five to five or seven cars maybe ahead of me. And I dove on the right side on a right-hand turn, on the inside of it, just zoop right down past all of them and then jammed on my brakes and then turned right and slid around the corner. And so instead of being in front by the end of the first lap, I was in front of them by the end of the first turn. And I was always so proud of that. That was one of the greatest moves I ever did in racing, which, you know, to this day, it was one of the best moves I ever made. So then the announcer apparently... <laughs> was saying that uh, John Blakemore was telling me that, that, that they were saying, uh, and Robert Hayes is out front, and here comes Joe Montana, and there's Hatch over and in the back, there comes Parnelli Jones, and here comes Dan Gurney, and Elio DeAngelis is up, and they're coming through the pack, and, now they're and Robert Hayes is out in front, and here comes Gurney and Jones, they're, they're having quite a fight back here, and Elio DeAngelis is Robert Hayes is out in front. And here goes the Hacksaw. He's past Hacksaw Reynolds. And he passed Montana. And now here comes Elio. And there's Gurney and Elio. And there's Parnelli coming up. And Robert Hayes is up in front. And here's Robert Hayes. <laughs> he's announcing it like that. And 
And then uh, I kept stretching it out so far. And I just felt, you know, in the zone, perfect, smooth, everything was going so well. And my dad told me, because he was timing every lap, the way we always, you know, timed every lap to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly when I saw him in the rear view mirror, because all of a sudden, my laps got a little sloppier, and he started gaining on me. And he also then saw exactly when I just said, Bob, focus, forget about whoever's coming up on you, just focus. And then it started, you know, stretching it back out a little bit. And so I wound up winning it. And I was the, the second celebrity. I was the first actor to win the whole thing overall. And on the, on the, uh, the stand, you know, when they're giving you the, the winner's yeah. cup, yeah. And on the little step right below me was Helio DeAngelis, <laughs> number six in the world in Formula One. And he's just looking like, oh, <laughs> and, and, and then I went up to the wet room afterwards. And by this time, of course, you are about 15 sheets to the wind because there are all the bottles of champagne that they're they're dumping down your throat. And oh, yeah. and this guy said, said uh, some guy that I'd never seen before, he says, hey, Robin, hey, way to go, man, way to go. And he's kind of like one of those, you know, he moves in the big circles, but he's a tag-along type of guy, gets himself into the, you know, and he says, hey, you want to meet Paul? And I'm assuming, you know, we're all saying Paul Paul Newman is there, you know, and uh, and his wife. And and I said, oh, gosh, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt. And he says, hey, Paul. And, and so Newman turns around. And he immediately ignores the guy and sticks his hand right down at me and says, grabs my hand and says, hey, Robert, that, that was a hell of a race. You drove a hell of a race. And I'm like, ah, I, 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 well, uh, thank you. And he said, he said, this is my wife, Joanne. And I'm thinking, well, no shit, of course that's your wife. But I didn't say that. But I was like, Hi, nice to meet you. And all the time I'm doing this, my little five foot two mom, who is the cutest little thing on the planet, dad's over somewhere talking with some people and mom is back talking to this little guy and i never got to go over there i was always being grabbed and pulled this way and that way and she comes back later on and she's she says oh i just had the nicest talk and i said well great mom she said yeah i was talking with jackie stewart i said what what where what i want to meet jackie stewart <laughs> and i never got to meet him and i was walking through the it's an alleyway that connects one street to another in London, and yeah, all the um, shops yeah. are in there. Yeah, it had the, a place that I love to go to get these cashmere scarves to bring back these presents to my sister and and my mom and and uh, and get one for myself too. They're just oh god, yeah. they're so wonderful. And I'm walking down there to find the place, and sure enough, there it is. And I see Jackie Stewart, and I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder. Should I try to? And as I'm thinking that, he's just kind of walking along, just, you know, little Jackie, just looked very approachable. But all of a sudden, there's a crowd comes rushing through. And the next thing you know, it's like in the movies when now you see him, now you don't. And he was gone. And I never got to go and say hello and say, you know, I won this race. And while I'm over there, you're meeting my mom. And I'm so jealous. I wanted to meet you. So, <laughs> so uh, but I never got to do that. 
That's one of the things like, I've, I've been at restaurants and I've seen like, you know, celebrities, you know, having coffee or uh, having a, you know, a bite to eat with friends or family. You, you, you don't know. Uh, I've never, like, I see people all the time, like walk over, Hey, can I have your autograph and all this interrupt their meal? And I'm just sitting there. It's cringe worthy yeah. to me. Um, it's funny. You know, when I was doing film, uh, take the shove and shove, we were in Iowa and Art Carney and I were having dinner tonight, uh, to, uh, one night together. And which was in itself wonderful. Just listening to those stories from him. Oh my God. Was he fantastic? I mean, what a great guy, mm-hmm. but, uh, what a career we're, we were, Oh yeah. And his other stories and the things that he'd gone through, you know, I mean, he was, he was, uh, Normandy and I mean, he, he, I mean, just on and on, but we, I noticed and, and afterwards I told him, but I, we both, I, I noticed on the corner of my eye, he was swirling his food with his fork and lifted some stuff up on his fork, which I had just done. And I noticed he was doing the same thing. It's just out of the corner of my eye. So I noticed that because there was a woman coming up. You could tell by the look in her eyes, she had a beeline drive force. And we both swirled the food. And then right when she came up and says, I don't mean to bother you. We both lifted it up into our mouth like we we're about to take a big bite and just stop. <laughs> <laughs> and... And and Art said, but you're going to anyway, aren't you? <laughs> and she just ignored it and said, I just think you're the greatest. Thing. Can I get an autograph? For and can I get one for my son? And can I get, you know, it's like, oh, my God. I said, you do realize that you and I just did exactly the same thing. And he said, oh, God, that just bugs me. Right when you, you they see you're eating food and they come up to you, I said, well. I got to ask, so you've been on the convention circuit for a while. Uh, do you enjoy meeting the fans and them sharing the memories of you and you know, what their films mean to them? You know, I, I had friends that were doing that, and I thought, oh, man. I, they had a little thing set up for us to do that at a charity one time, and I just felt so uncomfortable doing it, and it felt so weird. And, uh, yeah, give me money, and I'm going to sign this for you, and give me money. And I just... Ugh, I did not want to do it. Another friend of mine went and did it and he had a bad experience and he said, but he had had a, a manager steal his money and he was, he was a well-known guy and he needed to go and get some money back. Cause I mean, this, this business manager had, I mean, in the court going after him, he had stolen everything from him mm. and, and, and he was dealing cocaine out of the office. The manager was and, and had left a paper trail making it, all the, the clients think that it was my friend that was doing all of this stuff and stealing the money. And it was just horrible, horrible thing. So we had to go and he had to do us. And he said, if you don't ever have to do that, oh, you should not do that. And that just reinforced my thing that I was afraid of it, that it would just be awful. And then I had friends that had been doing it for years. And they said, gosh, this is so fun. You really should do this. And so I went and I did it. And uh, it was the first one I ever did. It was a chiller. And the guy, the agent that I had, knew a airplane, but he was mainly in the horror kind of. Oh, stuff. right. He didn't quite get airplane, I, I don't think. Anyway, so he sat with me because he had the other people working you know, with him. But he's, he had um, uh, the guy that's the, the biggest guy at the conventions from breaking from uh, Walking Dead. Oh, the Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Norm Reedus, I think. Yeah. So he 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 was like the biggest autograph guy at these things and he had him as a client so that's the kind of thing and he he was involved in in writing scripts for those kinds of movies horror movies and all that so we're sitting there at chiller 
And he said, I'm just going to start you out just real low. And I said, oh, well, okay, my friends are having this much. He said, well, I don't know. We're just going to have it low. So there's a line that started up, and it was the first time I'd ever done one. And it was a very healthy line. And we just kept going and on and going and going. And after a while, I looked over at him out of the corner of my eye. I saw he was staring at me. And I looked at him, and he said, he said we're doing very well. And I said, uh, really? And he said, yeah, let me just put it this way. I think I've greatly underestimated you. <laughs> and, then, and then later I said, uh, how are we doing now? Are we still are we doing okay? And he said, we have made so far tonight, we've made what I thought we were going to make the whole weekend. And he wow. said, and that's good. Right? Uh, and, I, I, and I said, that's good, right? And he said, yes. And just like when he said, I greatly underestimated you. I said, that's good, right? <laughs> he laughed. But uh, that wound up being such a fun experience. I was really bummed that I had lost out on all these years of being able to go and do this. Because for a change, what you're doing is you're going somewhere where people don't line up to come up and say, you know what? You really suck. They line up to say, you really like what you do. And I've always been someone that has appreciated someone. When they come up to me on the street, or, uh, you know, wherever, would they come up to you and they say, oh, gosh, you know, I know you're probably really sick of hearing this, but God, I just loved you in airplane. Hmm. And I said, okay, now wait a minute. And they think, oh, shit, here it comes. Yeah. And I say, I say, hold on. I say, you're taking a chance that I'm one of those real assholes you come up to and I'm going to give you a pile of shit. And so you're taking a chance on that, of really getting your feelings hurt because you want to come up to me and you want to tell me that you really loved something that I did. Now, how the heck am I supposed to be offended by that? And they'd say, Oh, well, and then they get it and they start to laugh. And I say, sure. They say, if you've got something you want me to write something or, and they say, well, yeah. And they have, they, I just, I, I can't help it, but I love playing with the people and they just get a kick out of it. And they say, oh, well, thanks for being so nice. And I say, hey, thank you for being so nice and coming up for me. You take a, so, you take a different page out of uh, Bruce Campbell's book because Bruce runs the convention circuit. He's kind of like the king of the convention circuit. And, oh, uh, really? Fans, oh, dude, he, 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 the things he does for the fans are, are incredible. He makes them feel so much, he, he plays with them, obviously, because he's, he's a sarcastic that's guy. great but he that has so great. much fun with them and i i've got to see it several times he's a very 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 warm friendly man but at the same time too he doesn't do the um what do you call it the fanboying you know because he's heard it a million times so he'll turn it on his head and make it about them and it makes the people feel so much better and yeah uh, he's, yeah he's such a great guy i hope if you haven't got a chance to meet him, i hope you do one day i would love to especially hearing that yeah i would love yeah. to I like it when people show that uh, they appreciate the bands. When, when people, you know, hey, no, I don't give autographs. You know, yeah. yeah, go away. You want an autograph? You come to a convention. You want an autograph? It costs you. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah man. I remember. I, just, uh, uh, I remember when Bill Murray. Bill Murray was doing. You know, he does his golf course, uh, his golf charity right. events. Um, he right. will sign autographs. Um, but he will, he'll charge, I think it's 20 bucks, but all the money that he raises for signing, you know, Ghostbusters posters or some shit, uh, he gives right. it to charity, right? He doesn't pocket any, but he gives it all to a local charity, um, in the area. And I, th- I find that right. you know, that's admirable, 
you know. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I so mean, I what gotta, a wonderful goofball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you go back yeah. and watch your own work? I am the worst critic, the harshest, meanest critic in the world of my work. But what I discovered once, after about 20 years, I guess it was, I watched Airplane, and I and I said, God, yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, that was pretty good. And when I, I think it's because the boys created such a terrific thing. I can go back and look at other stuff that I've done, and I think, oh, boy, that's just kind of dated. And Oh, man, you know, if I had just put a little more into that, or if I just told them that a little better, that would have made it better at all. So I'm always finding faults with everything that I do. It, the fresher it is, the harsher I am. Mm. But if it's been out for a while, and the longer, the more I've seen something, the more I can, I can take it. But uh, I like to. That's why I like going and doing the the voiceover stuff. You know, the the uh, when you're doing your ADR. Yeah. Uh, you know, and replacing your dialogue for people that don't know what ADR is. Mm-hmm. You you do it. You're doing a western, and the scene is perfect, but the sound is messed up because a jet went over, and you don't see the jet, but the sound went over. But you're under pressure time and you got to get it. And the visual was fantastic. Well, you just replace the sound. You just do your dialogue over and you replace it in the, you know, and they get ambient sound of the, of the prairie and they add in whatever they got to add in, but that's ADR. Mm -hmm. So um, I like doing it because it's fun. I can do it well. And they'd set up two hours for me to do it. And I get things done in 10 or 15 minutes a lot of times. Um, just because it's just so much fun to do. And I'm, I can, I get into a rhythm of it. And I can really do it, uh, you know, catch the, the rhythm properly and get it right. But um, sometimes you hate it because you caught something in your voice that was just excellent that you can't replace, you can't duplicate it. So that's difficult. But the other reason I like doing it is because I like to see raw footage of the scenes and I can get that cringe thing. Ugh. You can see it enough <clears throat> to where you can kind of get over that a little bit. And then by the time you see a screening of it with other people, then you're not cringing so much. If I see a screening of something and I haven't seen it yet, and I did this one time, I did this with the Starman folks. They have a, a, a group. We don't like to call it a fan club. It's the Starman gang mm. <laughs> and, and, or, or, you know, whatever. We got all sorts of names for it, but that they have come up with, but had a thing where they all came. We rented a theater uh, at the studio and the studio showed it to them. I was just cringing. I was just in the worst mood. I was like, ah, I didn't want to talk to anybody. And then you've got to force yourself to say, hey, yeah, oh, good. Because I hadn't seen anything yet. And all I saw were all the mistakes. Mm. And, and so uh, when you get to see it, at least it takes the edge off for you first. People ask me all the time when I release my episodes, do I ever go back and listen to them? And it's the same thing you said. If I go back and listen to what my work, I nitpick the shit out of it. I it loses all all its joy for me. Yeah. Do you have any future projects in the works right now? No, I've got some things that I've had that I've worked on, been working on for years. And I don't know when and if they'll ever come to pass. I'm not really a writer. I've worked with other writers on stuff and I've written stuff, but only just bits and pieces. I had a, a treatment uh, and, and 
several scenes. And it was given to uh, a neighbor of mine was a literary agent at a small boutique, highly regarded uh, agency. And it was absorbed by uh, agency that I was uh, with. And so it came through and he read that and said, imagine our little Bubby, a writer, <laughs> which I always thought was kind of cute, but I'm really, I can work with other people, I think, but not by myself. I need to be kind of inspired by them or, you know, whatever that little thing that kind of clicks you into the next, oh yeah, you know, let's talk about that. Oh, that gets you going into this and then you can. And you can keep going, but I ran against, ran up against. Never thought uh, about a biography or something. Yeah, I was starting that, uh, but it started to uh, encroach a little too much because the guy want, that I was writing it with it approached me with it and talked me into doing this. He's a great guy, uh, Jim. But he, uh, it started getting too much in airplane, and he wanted to do it all about airplane, mm. and that got all into the boys and their book that they're writing about it so i said no 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 this is their story i finally had to quit and i i told them no, i'm not going to do it until you guys get yours out and then we can th talk about it but but uh and i had i wrote the, i wrote the uh the prologue to it and a whole bunch of the stuff in it and then i would take the things that he wrote and then i because this was this was one of those that was, you know, my story by me with, you know, Jim also, you know, it's that kind of a thing. So it's me and him. So, you know, when you see those things, you know, that that's someone that has a writer that they're working with. And so what he would do is he would write these things and I would readjust it and correct some of the stuff to make it more accurate, but also put it more into my voice to make it sound like me. I end my interviews with the same question I ask everyone. And it's this question. If the entire planet was listening to this one episode of my show, what would be the one thing that you would want to say to the entire planet Earth? Get it together. <laughs> Dang it. That's a good answer. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got to remember that one. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, that's what, there'd be a lot of things you could come up with with that. But uh the thing that bothers me, I, I have gone from uh, being a member of the Democratic Party to uh, just absolutely non-affiliated. I just, I just don't care for politicians. I mean, my old joke has always been that I rank, I rank them below dog shit. I mean, they're not even down close to it. They're way below it. I just, you know, it's, it's all the lying all the time. Something's great if your party says it. It's just horrifically horrible for the American people if the other party says it. Mm. That is so old and I'm so tired of it all. So just get it together, you know? And But will they never will. It's always going to be about getting power and uh, money. Donate, donate, donate. Give me money and give me power because I want power. And uh, I want our party to have power and I want our guy to be in. And so I just vote for whoever I think the right person is. Mm. I always vote. I'm one of those people that I always vote. Every local, state, local and national elections, I always vote. Uh, and I don't appreciate the people that don't vote. But I don't vote just a straight ticket like I have friends that oh, do that. No. Yeah, I've, 
Yeah. I never, I never agree with that. So. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just uh, vote for whoever I think the best person is, yeah. who really has got the strength and the independence and the, who is really common sense, who I really appreciate their common sense, but has enough spit and, and piss and vinegar in them to fight, you know, for for us, because they're they're our parents. You know, we're all the children and they're the parents, but we want to have parents that are smart and strong and can protect us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and man, I would not count on, I, God, I don't know how many of the people in Congress and uh, all branches of government that I, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't count on them for anything, yeah. you know, let alone to protect there's a my, few, me and my family. There's so. a few I can nail on top of my head, which I won't, but I wouldn't trust yeah. them the right way on a toilet seat right now. So yeah, 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 yeah. And there are some that I really do admire, and I just, uh, you know, in both sides, mm-hmm. and and I would, uh, you know, support them. But, but uh, yeah, in my, in my years on this earth, I've met I've met a president, I've met a vice president, I've met two members of of a, two senators, and uh, I gotta tell you, like, it's so night and day, like who you just who you get is uh, mm-hmm. what you have. So, all right, yeah. Robert. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, I hope when well, COVID's thanks. over, maybe you come to a convention near me. You never know. Um, I hope please, so. I please hope so. give that my would be great fun. Oh, absolutely! Please give my thanks to Fran for help setting this up. This has been phenomenal. Definitely, I will. I definitely will. I always check in with her afterwards, and I, I tell her, you know, they were terrific. You know, well, yeah, we made it through or whatever. But this was great. You were really wonderful. Oh, thank you. And I love hearing a little bit of Welsh coming through. (laughs) (laughs) You and Richard Burton and Anthony Hopkins, who is one of my all-time favorites. Robert. Well, uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you. And just like that, our interview is done. I honestly have to say that was one of the most fun interviews I have ever done. And who knows? Robert may have a new project to plug one day and could always make another appearance. The invitation is always open. But man, what a legend, and what a what a life done right. We are all so lucky to have heard these great stories today. We aren't done, folks. We have recorded some absolutely incredible interviews with some amazing guests, and those will be coming to you very soon. I want to take this time, I want to dedicate episode 14 to my dad. He passed away three years ago around this time, and he was the first one to introduce me to Airplane. I know he would have been giddy as hell to have heard me speak with Robert about the film. So this one's for him. On that note, we come to the end. On behalf of the entire production team here at the Derek Duvall Show, we say, be safe, be well, and get the vaccine. Everyone needs to do their part. Remember, folks, regardless of the version of the original Star Wars trilogy you watch, Han did shoot first. No star, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.